Section 29 of Wildlife on a Norfolk Estuary by Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. East Coast Notes. Chapter 3. Some Mammalian Notes. Waterbowl and Crayfish. I have before referred in my book Notes of an East Coast Naturalist to the partiality exhibited by the water-vole, microtus, agrestes, to freshwater fishes, and also to the swan-mussel, anodonta, and would not again revert to the subject did I think it would lead to the hurting of one solitary hair of the merry little fellow's back. I like his company too well, for of all my eventide visitors, when sitting out the last hour of evening in the stern of the moorhen, when moored in some solitary corner in Broadland, none has gratified me more by queer antics and innocent gambols. Wholly unaware of my presence, a pair of voles have come out on the bank to court and play varying the fun of careless existence by daintily nibbling the coarse luscious grasses at the waterside now chasing each other now coyly making love now sitting up as if half suspicious of being overlooked by they know not what happy little creatures however they must eat and i have become fully convinced that their diet is of an omnivorous kind. When dealing with this subject in June 1897, I received the following letter. Aylsham, June the 7th, 1897. I take the liberty of asking your opinion on a matter of natural history. I wish to ascertain with certainty as I know you are a careful observer on these points. One day, the week before last, whilst fishing in the Bure between the junction of Scarrow Beck and Blickling Mill, I found about twenty large crayfish, or rather their remains, in little heaps by the edge of the river, the tail parts neatly nibbled in a groove along the middle of the back, to enable the contents to be extracted. The big claws were eaten through about halfway for the same purpose. They were placed near the work of water voles. I took one claw from a hole. Around each heap lay the dung of voles. I have always thought the vole herbivorous but i am inclined to believe it occasionally varies its diet with animal food like the squirrel the only others i can think of being the culprits are the common rat the otter and possibly the weasel mr f norgate tells me he has frequently observed the remains of frogs in small heaps i have toads chiefly which he thinks the work of the water bowl. Signed, R.J.W.P. Without a shadow of a doubt, these crayfish have been fished up by the vole 
and operated upon as i have observed them bring to the surface the swan muscle and devour it and although i never yet actually detected the vole making free with toads i have seen that unhappy reptile minus toes in a position that clearly indicated an unexpected escape from the omnivorous rodent i have been assured by an old eel-babber a man whose word i have always been able to believe that he had on several occasions seen water-bowls run off with the skins and heads of red herrings thrown onto the bank after a meal in his houseboat. This was generally observed in very severe weather, when the poor things were hard set for a bit of grub. He had a small handgun in his houseboat on one occasion this he loaded one afternoon and fired at a vole knocking it over with a herring's head still held between its teeth he scun the animal and made a tobacco pouch of the pelt which he carried about with him for several years a friend of mine a capable observer informs me that he is quite familiar with instances in which the water-vole has devoured the common frog. More Black Rat Notes In the January Zoologist of 1906, a friend of mine who has keenly followed up the vagaries of Musratus and its allies in the neighbourhood, wrote to the effect that the two local races of the black rat, Mus ratus ratus and Mus ratus alexandrinus, appear to be increasing in numbers, several fresh haunts having been brought to my notice. Some young specimens of alexandrinus have been through my hands, and all appear to have darker tails than the adults apparently due to the black hairs being closer together i have recently had a fine old male of the mus ratus ratus variety brought to me which had some time previously lost its left hind foot the tibia had been broken through at the middle and the muscles had healed at the knee leaving about a quarter of an inch of clean bone projecting the end of the bone was worn and polished, and the animal bore a rather ridiculous resemblance to a man with a wooden leg. The rat was in good condition, weighing five ounces full. The following measurements of it were carefully taken in the flesh. Head and body, six and three-quarter inches. Tail, nine inches. Ear, seventeen eighteenths of an inch fibrissy two and five eighths of an inch hind foot one and seven sixteenths of an inch signed p e rumbelow my note in the zoologist of february was as follows mr rumbelow is i think correct in stating mus ratus and its compere mus alexandrinus are on the increase hereabouts 
I am constantly hearing of their appearance in fresh quarters, and of very little to their credit. Cats are very fond of hunting them, and eagerly eat them, leaving only the snout and teeth. The rats themselves are not averse to anything that promises the least nourishment, and are not above nibbling the toe of a sound sleeper. A house in which a babe was some time ago seriously mauled by black rats has since been shut up, for the smell of those poisoned after the carpenters had been at work has made the place as insanitary as it was before unsavoury. In warehouses, dates, eggs, jars of jam, anything in fact, is fish in their net. Passing a sail loft on January the 25th, a sailmaker asked me if I could do with a couple of rats, one of them a clinker, that is, an extraordinary large one. I gladly accepted them. One was a jet-black male, Mus ratus, the other a very large example of Mus ratus alexandrinus. As it differs slightly from one referred to by Mr. J. G. Millay as coming from Yarmouth in the Zoologist 1905, I have thought it worth recording. Measurements, head and body, eight and a quarter inches, tail, nine inches, weight, seven and a quarter ounces, body of a smoke brown generally with slightly darker hair on the back and of a lighter hue below both fell victims to their love of russian tallow not a scrap of which that sailmaker dare leave about at night except some placed in a trap for their especial benefit and his own a very tarry smell emanated from the hides of both rats, due to their having made their beds of such tarry twine as they found lying about the loft. I went with this sailmaker into his oil room, a place in which large cans of various oils were stored, among them being two or three containing herring oil, a product, curiously enough, boiled and extracted from the oily scum which floats to the surface of the enormous keelers or tubs in which the herrings are rinsed before arriving on the spits for smoking. Hundreds of thousands of herrings go through the tub before the filthy water, thick with scales and blood, is let off below. This oil is of a very greasy nature, and takes a long time to refine itself clear. The cans in which it is stored for the sailmaker's use are very lightly bunged to allow for the expansion and contraction caused by atmospheric changes. The sailmaker assured me that the black rats would mount these cans and push over the bungs placed askew in the neck, and when unable to reach the oil with a paw, would dip in their tails. That's right, said he. Why don't they nibble your sails? Well, he remarked, 
before we dress a wherry's sail we have to mix a certain proportion of tar and they draw a line at a tarry flavour albino mus ratus on january the twenty eighth nineteen o seven one of my specimen hunters a merry little fish hawker brought to my house a queer-looking rat my cat only caught it an hour ago said he holding the rat in one hand and his cap in the other that's a regular novelty and she'd just killed two black uns afore she got that so you've got rats i said bless you yes sir he said smiling we have a nice old time with em the rat in question was just full grown and in excellent condition for the cat had had her fill of the previous two and needed very little persuasion to part with it by lamplight the coat of the animal appeared to be bluish white suggesting to me the hue of an arctic fox in summer jacket the tail was of a creamy tint and slightly shorter than that of a normal mus ratus the ears were greyish and the head altogether of the true typical form the eyes were gleaming red with an opalescent tint and almost as full and bright as in life i forwarded the animal at once to dr s h long of norwich who exhibited it still in the flesh with several other varieties of mus ratus and mus alexandrinus which i had sent him from time to time at a meeting of the norfolk and norwich naturalist society on the twenty ninth this albino example which i believe to be unique measured as follows head one and three quarter inches head and body together six and a half inches tail five and a half inches rat and oyster some years ago in the palmy days of smacking a deep-sea fisherman brought ashore a ped or hamper of coarse-shelled smack oysters these he good-naturedly gave to the landlord of the since demolished staff of life on the north quay and they were deposited in a back store place to be attended to on the morrow early next morning a queer noise was heard in the storeroom as of something being thrown and dragged about and search was at once made to his surprise the landlord discovered a large rat with an oyster firmly attached to the middle of its tail it would seem that attracted by the pleasing aroma of the shellfish this rat had come to examine them and had evidently drawn his tail by accident between the shells of a gaping oyster which on being so oddly tickled instantly closed it goes without saying that no persuasion on the part of the rat would allow the extraction of his caudal appendage nor of access unaccompanied to his hole 
also that the owner of the oysters speedily settled matters with the objectionable admirer of his toothsome mollusks Braden rats my boat shed on the edge of Braden is never free from a pair of rats which bring up their families in the midst of surroundings so damp that one wonders they may ever rear any at all it is seldom that more than one pair frequent my location probably because they resent intrusion but i have noticed invariably that when i have taken it into my head to trap them they are at once succeeded by another couple they never do me harm by nibbling or destroying anything but are annoying by their persistency in bringing shore crabs into the place having ferreted them out from under stones and refuse when the tide has fallen and by devouring them leaving little piles of broken shells to mark the spot where they have their suppers i have had occasionally to shovel out the debris now and again they bring in fish offal and other queer viands never troubling to cast away the remnants which produce at times especially after a higher tide than usual a strange and powerful odour curious cat's feet for some years past i have known of certain domestic cats in yarmouth remarkable for the unusual number of toes upon the forefeet from observations i have made and the particular neighbourhood in which these felines live i am strongly inclined to believe that they are all more or less related to someone's great regret no doubt a friend of mine secured one of these animals its colour shall be nameless which he informed me died rather suddenly soon after and there was a black specimen he believed unrelated which he intended to capture at the same time but it gave him the slip and has never been heard of since he cut off the forefeet of the cat that died and kindly furnished me with an exceedingly good photograph of them the left foot had seven digits the right one six thirteen in all a rather unlucky number for tabby in every other instance as well as in the present one the cat's hind feet contained the normal number of toes the pygmy shrew the pygmy shrew sorex minutus appears to be common in the neighbourhood of st olives a few miles from yarmouth and is found in the marshy districts nearer home the first example that came to my notice was a rather badly mauled little chap in a bottle of spirits which my friend mr p e rumbelow had taken from a cat not the only one this particular animal secured for us for examination cats are it seems eager to pursue and kill the shrew but probably on account of its queer odour refuse to eat it it is known to the young people in that neighbourhood as the ranny 
a common name given to sorex vulgaris in the country districts north of yarmouth where the animal is not uncommon although i believe unknown around st olives the pygmy shrew is not entirely nocturnal but hunts around for its prey in broad daylight some seal notes the common seal Foca vitulina occasionally frequents the sandbanks on the wash in some numbers until lately i believe without the local fishermen taking much objection to their presence complaints however would seem to have been made quite recently it being suggested that they frighten away the fish this may lead up to some persecution and so good a target may tempt those whose business or pleasure it is to carry rifles to try to reduce the numbers the lynn fishermen at one time used to net or entrap individuals selling them alive to showmen for exhibition purposes i myself in my scheming days had examples on show my showmen in ordinary putting them through their paces their barking suggested yes or no on command and a tambourine was rattled in a lively fashion by a flipper when an animal was ordered to do so some seals especially when captured young become very docile and tame whereas those taken when old are never tractable when keeper at preston pleasure gardens in eighteen eighty four i had a seal rockery and pond wherein several were incarcerated one large seal was so vicious that he would rush at me like a mastiff and could only be kept at bay by my facing him with a stiff bristly broom on one occasion when letting in water from the lake above a huge eel came through the large connecting pipe and began to dash about on the scarcely water-covered floor before i could get in to secure it the large seal had floundered out and seized it the animal very speedily snapped the eel's vertebrae in a number of places and swallowed it whole on rare occasions a seal swims and drifts into this neighbourhood and has a very restless time of it being shot at by gunners startled off the beach by pedestrians when bunched up on the sands for a nap and anathematized by sea anglers one day in november eighteen ninety one a seal made its appearance in the vicinity of the jetty an angler had just hooked a codling when something that a young urchin likened unto a corpse seized the fish and swam boldly away with it to the fisherman's surprise he immediately hooked the seal when endeavouring to pull the fish away from it and at once essayed to land it to this end he played the animal and gradually drew it near the shore whilst eager spectators lining the beach below waited to give it a warm reception 
but the seal took fright as it came into the breakers and making a sudden dash broke the line taking a hook with it it was subsequently seen in the neighbourhood of scroby sands and probably got safely away a sadder and a wiser animal i well remember a grey seal being shot with a punt gun on Braden in november eighteen eighty two more than one old Bradener who witnessed the massacre of the poor brute as it struggled to escape over the flats have graphically pictured to me the rumpus and the outpour of blood that reddened the drain poor beast a pound of shot sent into its head at close quarters would make a ghastly gaping wound i am glad i was absent at the time a rabbit yarn some twenty or thirty years ago a certain lighthouse keeper recently come to winterton lighthouse a few miles north of yarmouth on getting settled thought it would be advantageous to him to turn a bit of the sandy warren attached to the premises into a vegetable garden accordingly he set to work and having delved it into the semblance of a garden patch proceeded to plant it for the first few days the young vegetables promised to flourish in their new quarters and the bunnies on the adjacent warren had not yet got over their surprise and the fear of committing trespass but one morning the lighthouse keeper came to his garden to find that something in the nature of a blight had visited one corner during the night somewhat puzzled he replanted the ground but next night more of his tender vegetables vanished and he was still further puzzled he dug manured and planted again but with like result he asked the village folk who smiled and naturally suggested rabbits the keeper watched and found it was so he complained to h the lord of the manor and asked him to keep off his rabbits if you wish to grow green stuffs said the lord of the manor fence your garden in yourself this the keeper did not see his way to do but set to work on a much harder if less expensive plan he dug a trench two feet wide and three feet deep in depth all round the garden hoping that it would be a sufficient barrier against the marauding rodents one morning after he had completed his trench he visited it and to his great surprise found a large number of rabbits prisoners therein they had got in but could not get out i am informed there were over one hundred animals entrapped these he managed to kill and find a market for all right said the lighthouse keeper this'll do it's better than a fence 
and he managed to dispose of nearly seven hundred rabbits before the lord of the manor discovered his loss and the cause of the cessation of complaints h was one day surveying his warren when he espied the keeper acting in a strange and excited manner and came up to the edge of the trench why man what's this he gasped you're clearing my warren i'm content replied the keeper still knocking rabbits on the head as he pushed a big box in front of him stowing the rabbits up as he went if you want to keep your rabbits you'd better fence em in and so h did for he immediately ordered some rolls of wire netting burying three feet of it below the surface and raising it several feet above all round the garden rodents teeth mishaps instances though rare of wild rabbits have been met with in which the foreteeth had grown to an unusual length to the great discomfort of their unfortunate possessors as is well known the incisor teeth of rodents are continually growing to supply the loss incidental to their gnawing habits thus it happens that if one or both incisors become broken the osseous matter at the root of the tooth opposite still keeps pushing that tooth forward and a preternatural elongation ensues how such an unfortunate rabbit manages to feed is not easily explained and trouble must eventually follow in february eighteen ninety five i obtained a rabbit with both of the top incisors missing the lower ones being abnormally developed standing out very much after the fashion of an aged boar's or a babirusa's tusks the points very nearly reaching to either eye it was trapped in the neighbourhood and notwithstanding its infirmities was in fine condition furnishing me with an excellent sunday dinner a rabbit was observed at norwich at about the same time with one incisor tooth grown and curved to a half circle a friend of mine has a common brown rat preserved which had grown an under incisor to such an abnormal length that it formed a complete circle the size of a wedding ring the tip end coming to within an infinitesimal distance of the part of the tooth protruding above the animal's lip in eighteen eighty four when feeding some pheasants in an aviary i saw the tail of a very large rat protruding from one of the corn hoppers and immediately understood that an uninvited guest was dining therein i seized a stick and stealthily crept behind it whereon the animal without the slightest show of haste came out i immediately knocked it down and on picking it up saw that it was an aged individual thin and emaciated with the two upper incisors grown over and completely under its chin preventing the poor beast from properly masticating its food 
for each time it moved its jaws the points of the teeth chafed the skin which showed signs of contact clearly enough a cetacean migration a somewhat remarkable movement of cetaceans presumably porpoises took place in march 1906 a big procession of them being observed swimming through the roadstead various reports reach me respecting them some persons insisting that they were scolters or white-beat dolphins and that they were at least twenty feet in length allowance must be made for the difficulty of judging the length of moving objects in the sea i made inquiries with a view of ascertaining whether others had observed them further north of the county but met with no response mr lown a local naturalist assured me that he saw this shoal on the afternoon of sunday the nineteenth he believed them to be porpoises they appeared to be about six feet in length and their ranks extended almost from the wellington pier to the st nicholas lightship a distance of considerably over a mile they sprang out of the water three or four at a time the water was perfectly calm and any shoals of spring herrings in their line of march must have fared very badly End of section twenty nine. End of Wildlife on a Norfolk Estuary by Arthur Henry Patterson.